Howdy, Meeps. Welcome to the Meeple Syrup Show. What's going on? Yeah, not much. How about you? Not much it's at all. Wednesday. Oh my gosh, it's Wednesday. Wednesday. It is Every a wonderful Wednesday. Wednesday. And it's the first of its kind. Why? We officially are doing our very first community episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. That that whole thing. I was yeah, the surprised. thing we're here for. The thing we're here for. That's great. Yeah. Yes, and we are in community mode. So um, in fact, we are so in community mode that we're gonna start off the the whole episode by talking about a community event. Uh, Erica, would you like to bring us all up to speed on Katana? Katanathon. Katanathon. Yes. So hopefully if you are around this weekend and if you'd like to donate to a really good cause, all money goes to cancer research, uh, is the eighth annual Katanathon. And if you don't know what that is, basically as long as money rolls in, it buys the amount of hours that the game Settlers of Catan will be played continuously without basically sleep. So the people hosting the show, you can actually buy them naps. That'd be a really nice thing for you to do. Um, there's is some really crazy fun tiers of spending. So you could do, you know, things where maybe you want to punish someone and you want to do a Timbit challenge where there's going to be one with a hot pepper inside and you don't know which one you're getting. It could be in between games as you're playing where you have to pause Catan and play a giant game of Jenga or something like that. There's ones where people can't have to dance the entire time. You can name the robber. There's all kinds of fun things you could do. So uh, we'd love you to tune in at any point this weekend. But if you're interested also in donating, it's katanathon.ca. And as I said, it runs for as long as the donations come in uh, that buy hours to continue the game going. And so the hope is to beat last year, which I think was almost six grand. So that would be amazing to keep that going again this year. Yeah, all And I'll be on Friday. To, yeah, yes, all proceeds I'll, go to... Cancer, cancer research, research. Right? all yeah. everything, everything about it's going to cancer research. Um, it is supported by Catan itself. Catan studios does support Catanathon and they have a big prize package, I believe as well, that they've donated for this year, like all these crazy expansions and stuff like that. Oh, it's awesome. That's great. Anyway, tune in on Friday, starting at seven. I'm the very first guest. Hopefully I'll keep it, you know, going to get go start and it's going to be nonstop Catan for the weekend. So is it like, you get you get to play until you're eliminated or until you like fall asleep no well <laughs> i get to walk away uh daryl's actually going to be on at nine but the people hosting can't leave unless oh you buy gosh. them naps unless you buy them naps <laughs> so please be nice nap. and buy them naps don't but you can also take away their naps if you want to buy that too Depends how spiteful you want to be. But anyway, it all goes to an amazing cause and they'll just keep it going for as long as they can and as long as the money comes okay, in. So, so anyway, long story short, please tune into Katanathon at some point this weekend and we'd love your support. Do you know it's easier for me to say that word than it is to read it? I'm trying to, that's what got me caught up. I'm trying to read it. Katanathon. Katanathon. All right. Katanathon. Yeah, Katanathon. Right? See, it's just a little Kat bit odd. Katanathon. That's what I'm yeah, saying. Catenation almost looks like. <laughs> That's um, ah, right. So, uh, oh, last one before you go to Shucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last one, sorry, because that was okay. my community one. Now I'm going to plug myself. <laughs> oh, right. Well, uh, just wanted to give a quick shout out because the uh, Scott Pilgrim Kickstarter just got announced and it's going to be uh, next week. Add something then. On okay. October 15th. <laughs> Scott Pilgrim. 
Mm -hmm. oh. I can't wait until everyone sees all the parts of this game. Yeah, it is it is ridiculous what's in this game. So Scott it's so much Pilgrim. fun and so Canadian too. Yeah, and it'll be on so Kickstarter on October 15th. Mm -hmm. Um for those of you who don't actually know what Scott Pilgrim is, other than like watching the movies or reading the comics, um that all happens like you know, about 30 minutes from where Erica lives. So yeah, it, it, it's, it's in Etobicoke and it is a, it's a, no, it's downtown Toronto. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it's from Etobicoke. But anyways, so the idea, the idea of, um, of it being lots of Canadian content is, is a wonderful, wonderful thing. So yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll see it all in there. Um, other than that, let's go to this one. Let's talk about this one. Yeah, is... you went somewhere fun this weekend. I did. I went to Vancouver to Shucks 2019. So I've been a guest there for, well, since it started. So for about three or four years now, I guess it's this is the third year. And we did a couple things. Jay and I ran a bunch of things. We ran a game design jam that Panda Game Manufacturer sponsored. So... They sponsored our events in Fan Expo that Erica and I did. And then they've also sponsored our events at uh, Shucks for the Shut Up Show's um, major expo. And it was wonderful. We had like 30 people designing for a two-hour period. Nice. Uh, and yeah, it was great. They broke up into teams of anywhere from four to six people. So there's like 34 people. And there were six groups. They each had two kits to work with. And we used Jay's Fail Faster journal to give them a constraint, a theme, and a mechanism to work with. And it was amazing what people came up with in two hours. Like, literally blow my mind, kind of amazing. Somebody made a, uh, a game that was a all, you know, all versus one game, a many, one versus many game, where the one was a racetrack. So somebody was control the racetrack overlord building this racetrack. <laughs> that racers were trying to get to the end of while uh -huh. the racetrack overlord was laying traps for them. Uh, so it was kind of neat. And then another group did this humans versus zombies live action dexterity programming game mm -hmm. where, yeah, Jesse's like, what is that? Uh, yeah. where the, uh, the zombie player is a single player uh, that had to draw cards as fast as they could with one hand and move their things around with one hand. Um, mm -hmm. While the humans were trying to program um, until they got out of a number of like got to certain places to like get the I think get like the keys, the ammo, the gun and get to the exit or something like that. And they could mm -hmm. only do a few things. They could only push. They could move. Uh, and I think they could shoot. And I think that's about all they could do. So it was just really neat to watch them play. Mm -hmm. And they had this a couple neat sort of um, almost like high fives to start the game. Uh, so you'd have to go, yay humans and touch hands with all the humans so that the humans didn't have a hand of cards. So they'd have to do this and then draw from their deck. It was just a nice way of, of getting the yeah, 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 yeah. And then we ran a rules writing um, seminar workshop where Jay did a kind of a 45 minute-ish course that he actually does in at Vancouver's film school where he teaches. Uh, on how to write rules and we just say hey write the rules to snakes and ladders right after trying to figure out what are the what are the parts of a rule list like you know it's you know it starts with flavor and then 
um, components and then setup and you know ordering those in the right order to like, get them all in recipe cards and then write all the rules. And it's amazing how difficult it is to write good rules for such a simple game of snakes and ladders that um, people are like, oh yeah, I got to remember that. And so a lot of people learned from the experience. And then I used the maple syrup um, infographics to kind of go over a bunch of other points in terms of like higher level points as opposed to like the nitty gritty points. So it was actually really good. We had um, the guy who wrote the rules for Root was mm -hmm. in the seminar. So he's like, yeah, this is good. And he gave some more thoughts to it. So it's great. Had a good time. And then we just demoed mind management for two days straight, which is wonderful. Uh, <laughs> lots of lots of good feedback there. Anyway, uh, Jesse, Jesse. What's Jim up? Baker is asking if uh, anywhere it was recorded, the rules somewhere. Oh, no, sorry. Um, unfortunately, the deal with Shucks is that it's in, if you've ever been to British Columbia, uh, or Vancouver specifically, it's in the um, the conven convention center that has like this giant like sail as a roof. And so you can't actually separate spaces very well. There are no little rooms off to the side type thing. Um, it's just this giant open space. And so all the spaces in there are separated by curtains. Oh, and it's just loud. It's just super loud. Actually there there are actual hard barriers, but they're, they're few and far between. They, they like base the hard barriers basically uh, shut off like football size fields. Mm -hmm. um, non acoustic barriers in the middle. So it got very loud. And if you weren't the Shucks team, like the actual shut up, shut up, sit down people, you weren't getting recorded because it was just yeah. too hard. Too hard to set gotcha. Yeah, Last. so we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out, though. Yeah. Um, maybe Jay and I can do something at another con that we can record a little bit better. Cool. And Jesse, what's up with you? You have, let's see what you have. Well, I moved. So yeah. I'm now back in Canada. And mm -hmm. uh, one of the most exciting things that we have is interior doors. Right. Two interior years living doors. in California. We forgot what those were. And now we have three. It's exciting. Um, no, five. Oh, goodness. Wow. <laughs> it's so exciting. Um, and also, uh, as part of this community episode, I was supposed to announce a book club or something like that, but moving, as it turns out, really exhausting and time-consuming, and so I haven't put any time into planning that. Instead, I've come up with like two other ideas of things that I could do for meeple syrup in the coming months. Right. So um, instead, what I'm going to promise is that before the end of the week, uh, there will be a vote that goes up on the Patreon for Patreon supporters to decide which of my three ideas I will um, put some time and energy into and get launched before the end of October. Cool. So I'll get you access to the Patreon or just send me in and I'll write it in. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, that's really neat. Jim Jim just said, fun story. He studied at uh, Vancouver Film School in 2000. Ah, that's awesome. That was that's like amazing. way before Jay started teaching there, but very cool. Very cool. <laughs> small um, yeah, yeah, very small world. So mm. without further ado and without more discussion on interior doors, we are going to bring our first guest on. So we're going to welcome to the stream, Mr. John Dubois. Here he comes. Yay! Hello. Yay! Hello, John. Hi, John. How are you? Doing well. Good, good, good. Uh, so before we start um, digging into your design issue, can you tell us where you're from, what you're designing, what you do in real life, all that fun stuff? Sure. Um, I am a speech pathologist. Uh, from Troy, Michigan, which is about an hour north of Canada. Um, it is. And I have designed uh, a couple button shy games, including Avignon, 
Um, and I'm currently working on um, a game about auto strikes, a co-op, um, a solo game about brain injuries, um, and a trick-taking game about fighting monsters in a dungeon. Oh, that's the one that Doug Lewandowski wanted me to ask yes, you about. Yes, Doug is the co-designer. Oh, okay, so that's <laughs> that's tricky monsters, tricky dungeons, tricky arena, tricky arena. Okay, good, cool, cool, cool. So, um, what uh, what is your big design question tonight? How can we well, help the, you? The question affecting a couple of the games I'm working on is finding a good point to end the game. Oh. Um, there's a lot of games where um, it kind of reaches a natural end or a natural progression. Um, but I'm finding with cooperative and solo games, um, you can theoretically just keep doing stuff forever. Mm. Um, and finding a natural and organic endpoint to the game is a challenge that I'm currently facing. That's a great mm. way to put it, an organic endpoint. Mm. Um, and, and, and it is something that is very or can be anyways, um, forced upon a game a lot of times. Like, I'm just thinking, Jesse and I, our Mutants game is coming out um, hopefully next month. I think that's when yeah. it's going to be released to grand public. And yeah. it is literally, like, just, you know, fight five rounds, um, which makes yeah. sense. I was but... going to say, there's thresholding, right? So the idea is if you don't have a natural point, and it depends if this feels good in the game, because sometimes it doesn't. No. But if it does, because, you know, naturally you're like, well, I just want it to last 30 minutes. So now it lasts 30 minutes. I would say thresholding in either the X number of rounds or you hit points at this limit you've now won or lost, right? Yeah. Um, but I'm thinking we probably need to hear more about your scoring system and how to play to yeah, understand a bit more about where the natural ending might be, because maybe maybe the theme itself has a natural kind of... Yeah, pick pick one of those games, John, that you're having troubles with, and uh, okay. give us kind of the high-level overview, uh, paying particular uh, um, attention to, uh, like, scoring, and uh, what length of time and experience you want it to be. Okay. Um, so I guess I'll talk about the uh, the solo game. Um, so the solo game focuses on resources, mental resources you have when recovering from a brain injury. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so from a mechanical standpoint, there's icons on cards. Um, you can upgrade cards to have more icons on them um, as you go through the game. And um, eventually you're just going to, you can lose by not being able to pay for the things you have to do. Or um, you can win by question mark. Um, you know, and, and since thematically there really isn't an end to that process, finding an end to the game has been something that I've found kind of difficult. Okay. All right. So yeah, that's an interesting one because it's not like you're like, Oh, look, you got better. You win. Like you, you know, that's not exactly what's going on here. Right. And so, um, the game kind of uses engine building elements, you know, as the cards mm -hmm. upgrade, they can do more things. Um, and I guess to a certain extent, that is kind of an issue facing any engine building game, which is at what point in that process right. do you stop forever building an engine? Because right. the engine building's fun, so, right? Right. Yeah. We actually were... The engine can do lots of things. Yeah. <laughs> we were talking about this on one of the Facebook groups uh, a couple days ago. I can't remember who, but um, about ending games and... Someone gave the suggest the usual suggestion of like, oh, you want the game to end just at the moment where you know players are having the most fun, so that they want to play it again. 
And someone came back and pointed out that with engine building games in particular, they found that not to be the case. Because oh, what they find that players want with an engine building game is at least a couple of turns with their engine running at full power. Yes, right? I will so agree to that. So just from a mechanics point of view, you could look at the, the structure of your game and identify that sort of climax point for when the engine feels like it's working really good. Give the player a couple more turns after that to feel the power of what they've achieved and then figure out, and then that would give you a marker in terms of the, the mechanical arc that you might be able to find some kind of criteria that reliably cuts the game as over and victorious at that point. Yeah. Mm. I think, um, you know, using uh, three plus or minus one type of range of, of finishedness. Uh, so, um, you know, everybody should probably get, you know, average three turns with their engine What's before the, the game thing? ends. Yeah. But if you're really good, you might have four. And if you're not playing optimally, you might have two. And that might be where you want to kind of cut it off. Um, that might give you an idea of, you know, if I have my full kind of really good engine built, play three turns, what's my score? Maybe that's when we end it. Um, it could also be because uh, because of, of what you're working in and the thematics of it. So uh, for the people out there who, who don't know, um, I'm an occupational therapist and a psychology professor. So this, this whole idea of brain injury is very kind of near and dear to what I do professionally, as well as what John does professionally. Uh, and I think, John, you're making this game for a reason as well, right? Um, well, I, it's first um, professionally and also yeah. because I've yeah. had a brain injury. Yes. And so um, I'm trying to do, I have a, I, I personally feel that it's easier for me to design a game if it's thematically something I can identify with. Sure. And so one game is based on a historical event from my hometown. This game is based on an experience I've personally had. Yeah. And so is there something that you would like to see in terms of your experience as a professional, your experience as somebody who's had a brain injury in terms of when you think that, okay, the game is over now? Is the game over when, you know, you've recovered to the point that, you know, you're back at work, or is it when you are able to, uh, you know, meet your ADL requirements? What is it? Um, because I haven't gone through it myself, so I've just watched many patients go through it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of hard to say because it, it's, it really is a process that doesn't end. Mm -hmm. and I want the game to give something of that impression. That's a great so, point. I, I want yeah, yeah. to see something where you're getting through the game and even though you've got this engine that usually works pretty well, sometimes it doesn't. Okay. So there are, there are there things in the game that make it not work so well, even when it, you worked kind of well the day before type thing? Um, I mean, the, the, there's just different resources you have each day. Sure. And so, oh, okay. You know, some of the resources are, you know, you've got brains for your cognitive ability. Um, you've got amount of rest, amount of family support. Mm -hmm. And so um, going to work might be something you can do if you've had enough rest. Right. Maybe the next hand you draw, you don't have enough rest, so you can't do that. Right. Um, and so being able to have the engine run effectively and ineffectively at least once. Hmm. Would be That's interesting. 
but yeah. that's I mean that's an even more specific design challenge um, that I, I need to think about. So you're looking for this to be a teaching opportunity, right? I'm looking for it to be a, 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 a both, you know, a, a game experience sure. as well as a teaching opportunity. You know, it's, well, it's what, what I'm almost sorry, go ahead. Game wise, it's kind of meant to fit in the same niche as um, a lot of the free and free solo games. Um, like right, Friday okay. Finished, mm -hmm. um, but just be about the experience and in some way have some of the frustrations of that experience be simulated in the game. So what I'm wondering is you could almost make this uh, potentially two different ways of making this objective based. If it's more of a teaching experience, you need to go through a certain range of, you know, as you said, like the good and the bad. Maybe you have to experience like, you know, for every three good objective you've achieved, you must have at least had some sort of penalty of the negative days too. So if it's a learning objective one, it could be that once I actually understand these you know, higher tiered uh, information that's supposed to be coming from this, then there's, that's your win condition in some way, because like, I guess you have to decide what's your takeaway from this, right? Like, what is it you want it to do? And so we're hearing two different things. So you'd have to be careful. You might actually have to tune more towards one than the other, right? Like if you really wanted to make it as educational as possible, you're going to have turns that are probably not fun for a player per se, right? Like it's not right. like you're winning exactly um, because of that negative experience. And it's like, maybe it's also the way you pose the game to people. Like if my you know objective from the game is to learn these key ideas, then I'm not necessarily paying attention to the the turns that would be considered a negative turn because I actually need that turn to reach my information objective, if that makes sense. Right. What I worry mm -hmm. is that if I'm just doing it for like, you know, to win, right? Okay. And I, I, I am intentionally having roadblocks as part of the game, there has to be a way that I feel okay about that, if that makes sense. Like, you know what I mean? Where I still feel like I'm pushing through or winning through something. Yeah, it does. Um... I guess my question then would be, what, why are those mutually exclusive? Um, and I guess I'll throw out Maiden's Quest as an example. In Maiden's Quest, you'll run into monsters you can't defeat. And there's negative consequences for that. Mm -hmm. That that doesn't necessarily take away from the experience of the game. Yeah, yeah so I, that's why I say it depends on what you intend. I, well, yeah, if you're, if you're posing the game where you already understand that the the difficulty is a huge part of the game. It's how, I guess, you set it up to the people that are playing to how they'll, I guess, see that. It's an expectation thing, you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, I don't necessarily think negative consequences are a bad thing. I just think that um, you may have Depends to go- feel like. Yeah, but you may have to go to the point where like losing is an, an actual reality in mm -hmm. the game, right? So um, I'm just thinking about the last game that I used in the classroom, which was, Brain architecture, which was looking at it basically we just used uh, pipe cleaners and straws um, to build a brain. So pipe cleaners are basically your neural synapses, your axons, et cetera, et cetera. And then I use the straws as myelin sheath to say, okay, that's a really strong connection. You know, you've got some resiliency. Um, and as you get social supports, you get more straws. And as you grow, you get more um, pipe cleaners. But sometimes you get pipe cleaners without straws because of exposure to like bad things like you 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 know saw violence or you were 
uh, your baby was exposed to, you know, toxic waste or something. It's not, it's not necessarily that far-fetched, but it, it's, it's life experiences. Mm -hmm. Eventually what happens is after age five, you no longer get straws at all. You never get straws. You're just building your uh, pipe cleaners. And then when you get toxic events, then you start adding weights, like actual literal weights to the structure that you build, making the pipe cleaners kind of sag and fall over. And in the end, there's there's no win or lose. You just kind of did the event, did the thing. And you're, you, then you have to discuss the brain and why did it fall over? What happened in that child's mm -hmm. life that made it either a very resilient brain or not so resilient brain, you know? Um, how many life experiences you had that did that? So there's a, the debrief, the learnings in the debrief. That's what I was going to say. How do you really build the debrief like into the game, yeah. right? Because it okay. kind of seems like we want these learning objectives, right, John? Sure. Right? Um, I, I haven't decided yet. I, I, I want to make it work as a game before I, I have so, it necessarily be a learning experience. Okay. Yeah. And I think, um, oh, sorry, carry on, John, before I jump in. No, I'm at, at, go ahead. I was going to say, so I think... Um, we're getting into this like awkward space where uh, the, the feedback is moving towards needing to dig out very specific details about how this game works. Um, and I think from the things you've said so far, the most uh, obvious to me end condition, to go back to your original question, is mm -hmm. strictly time. The game will play X rounds. And then at the end of it, you're going to look at the board state and you decide for yourself if like doesn't necessarily need to be about winning or losing. It can just be the game is over after X rounds and through some mechanism, there's a record on the table of what has happened to you every turn. Mm -hmm. and That's kind of what I was getting at. Yeah, and you can just look at that and be like, all right, so this is like the progression that I have gone through. And the, uh, the, the, the appeal to the solo player to try again would be to look at that and ask yourself, well, that went pretty rough. I wonder if I could have done something differently to get a different outcome. And so the learning would then come both from evaluating what happened and seeing what like realistic trajectories look like, but also through repeated plays coming to appreciate that certain kinds of um, sort of negative feedback loops are gonna happen and certain kinds of positive things are not always in your control and so on and so forth, right? But there um, is some stuff that is in your control. Exactly, yeah. Right, like it, like taking rests and and using social supports and doing all those types of yeah. things that are, <clears throat> that therapeutically work, uh, but may not be something that you want to do because it makes you feel different right so there's all there's a lot of stuff to unpack there um and i find it really interesting and the fact that it's a solo game i think allows you to do some of those things right so i know from my research on solo games that most solo gamers don't want to beat a score right they're like don't, don't show me a, to beat a score don't don't make me do that and show me a little ranking table but i i think that's why i was getting at the idea of again John, you know, because I'm an occupational therapist, I'm going to talk about meaningful occupation all day. Uh, <laughs> but what is it that you've accomplished as somebody with a brain injury that says, I'm a success because I did X, Y, and Z, or yesterday was successful, but today wasn't because yesterday I was able to do all the things that I was supposed to do. Today, I didn't have enough resources to do that. And try to get people to understand uh, maybe all that management of those resources. That's that's kind of the critical point, I, I think, uh, in terms of what I'm hearing from your game and what I know of the 
the genre, or the, the genre, but the subject matter is right. managing all that stuff and juggling all that stuff and relying on sometimes the kindness of others, right, to help through those things in your your support networks and your spouse and and whatnot. So, I, I, you know, I, I think there's a lot of stuff in there that's really really cool. And to find an organic endpoint, maybe Jesse's right. Maybe it's you know you play through the first x years of recovery after post like post injury and then see where you are and but it's an organic kind of see where you are it's like are you back at work have you you know recovered can you can you speak well you know all all the things that get affected depending on the location of the uh the trauma that maybe there's different outcomes and maybe that's what's fun about playing it again or interesting about engaging about playing it again is that um, the the injury is different every time, so you're going to sure. start with different levels of of, of things. And then it almost sounds point. it almost sounds like there could be a way of somehow almost creating a little tableau as as the thing that you look to to see whether or not uh, like how well you've done. But what it could be is something more like a player tracking board where you're maybe you're trying to find that that balance, that middle line, or that that stasis between the different areas of your life. And so what you could actually do is as you're moving things up and down, betting and if you've had those good or bad days or you've gone to work, as you said, or you've got enough rest, all of that could be almost tracked somehow. It was almost like this, this little person version of you, right? And you're looking to see how overall, what is the average of like, just looking at this person, how are they doing? And yeah. that might be a really good visual connection to like, I can see right now, I'm actually doing quite good at, at the end of you know my eight rounds or whatever it was. I can look down and say, my guy has not had a good time of this. And as Sen said, that can then have that either that conversation or that reevaluation of how do I fix the things that I can directly see are quite negative on my board right now. It's just a thought that occurred to me because again, yeah. I don't know the nuances of your game. <laughs> well, the yeah. nuances of the game, you know, it's a game in progress, whatever the nuances are, what they become, right? Yeah. yeah. Just something I was seeing that I was like, I could see this. Not only would I maybe want to take a picture of it as part of my game experience, but then I can very quickly see how my person is doing overall. Yeah. Like it's like a larger, a big, a big view. I totally and made all the students take pictures of their brains that they made. Yes, and, they and they, so they have a life journal that they track everything on and they, they write down everything and they take a picture of that and they take a picture of the brain itself during, you know, several stages of growth. And then they attach that to a document and then answer like five or 10 questions. And that's, that's the whole kind of teaching experience or learning experience. Um, and I, I think you could do something very similar, but even make it more kind of like um, game-based than, than mine is. Mine's yeah. more like just random events happen and you kind of make decisions of how you build this thing. Uh, whereas I think yours will have much more strategy and depth to it. Uh, because it'll well, be it's also different stages way. of development. You know, your, your exercise is dealing with early childhood stuff, and and a lot of TBI recovery is is functional tasks, and you can mm -hmm. chart that a little easier game wise. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I uh, think. Yeah, Eric Slauson's bringing up a point. He says, "Could there be some aspects of it that hinge on an OT or PT timeline?" But not so SLP. Not SLP. <laughs> well, maybe maybe it's almost like a checklist. Like you've managed these types of tasks, therefore you you've sort of like. You know, I mean, we do yeah. actually have those. I know there. that's why I said they're actual that. real things that we yeah. do use well, in practice. They're, they're, maybe not where you are, but where we are, there is definitely depending on uh, what kind, what what caused the brain injury. Um, the public health care system uh, in the states, you only get so many days of therapy. Mm. Yeah, that's not how it works up here. Forget it. Um, wow, I'm sorry. So, 
where, where you're just not going to get it anymore. And so to a certain extent, you're making the acute recovery where you can. And then after that, you're on your own. And that in itself is an interesting thing. Like, That's what right. if you what if you had different variables? Like, if you have more acute recovery, mm-hmm. and then you have inpatient, and then you have outpatient, and then what's happening to you if you, if you have you know community resources? But if you don't have community resources, what if you're rural versus urban? You know, all these all these things that we tie into like um, you know indicators of of health and things like that. I think there's a lot that you could dig into with that that you could have a variable setup and. It's yeah. basically just playing the game to see where this character grows. It's almost like an RPG, mm-hmm. uh, almost that has, plus you know, swords and monsters, right? Mm-hmm. So that's really cool. That's it. Yeah, some sort of tableau. That's why I kind of see yeah. that as well. But yeah. anyway, yeah, cool, cool, cool. All right, thank you very much. No problem. I think that's a great mm-hmm. project, and I'm really looking forward to to seeing Same it on the table. What about your what, what about your other games, John? Are you still having Are you having trouble finding ends for those games as well? Um, with the strike game, um, the, the big, yeah, you know, it's, it's also, it's sort of similar where it's, the game's going to last a certain length. It's a strike. It lasts a certain number of days until the comp- corporation gives in. Right. And just figuring out what the right number of days is because it's a cooperative game. It's very area control based. You know, depending on how lo- it's just finding what that right length of time is. That's probably going to be a difficulty right slider. What's that? If it's a cooperative game, the length of the game will probably be a difficulty slider. So knowing nothing about the details of your game, but just <laughs> thinking um, the longer the game goes, then the it might, that might mean the game is easier versus the shorter the game is. Um, if you don't already have a naturally built-in win condition, which you might not if you're not sure when the game should end. No, the win condition is last X number of turns. Okay, yeah, so it's... So it could definitely be a a dexterity slide. The company gives up. A difficulty slider, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, you either win or you need money to survive, so you have to go back to work. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that sounds like for that one, that's definitely going to be a difficulty tuning variable. Like there's an easy, medium, and hard version of the game, and that's just, you know, 10, uh, 7, and 5 turns or whatever, right? Yeah. So you're Um, just scaling it to uh, your percentage win chance, really. Like um, if you're aiming for, say, you know, ghost stories level difficulty, then it's like 20% win, and then you might have 30 and 40% win as your middle and low end of your difficulty scales. People there win ghost stories win 40% of the time. No, they don't. They don't. They don't. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying that'd be easy. That'd be the easy. Easy, easy. By the way, I did see, speaking of shucks and ghost stories, I did see the new version of it. Hmm. It's called Last Bastion. Uh, and it's um, it's apparently a little streamlined from Bowser's old game, so... Interesting, interesting, interesting. Um, Eric Slauson is saying here the sli- the size of the corporation could also be tied to the length. Sure. Uh, so it depends on what you're doing. It could also be um, like is any so it's a co-op, but nobody's playing the corporation, right? No, it's it's your different groups operating inside the union, um, okay. and the corporation's the AI. Okay, yeah. So there's no real way to have a hidden thing for the AI that you go, oh, let's check to see if we've got all the, 
you know, our, our um, bargaining uh, levels are at the same bargaining level that they have because you know, they're both basically coming from other opposite ends, right? So if this is the union saying, you know, we'll give you back this and we'll give you back this and we'll give you back this. Right. And this is a company saying, we'll give up this and we'll give up this, we'll give up this. When those two things kind of cross, that should be when we end the game, but it could Agreement, be on several yeah. different several there, different there, categories, there is, right? There is a mechanism that does that a little bit, which mm -hmm. is um, like there is a kind of baseline keep control of the factory this much to stay in the game. But if you control this much of the factory, the endpoint moves back. So you don't have to last as long. Right. Um, because you're basically shutting down more of the corporation's resources. Um, and, and they're getting a little more desperate. So um, that is, you know, so, so there is something like that in the game. Um, it, I have played a little bit with uh, Trader Mechanic a little bit, but that's not something I'm going to put in the game early on. Yeah. And I'd probably have to license the joke from... Uh, greater than games yeah so so if it is just a, a round timer thing and a matter of figuring out how many rounds is the the right number to stop it at um what i would do is uh play a bunch of solo games with no round timer like run the just see how long it takes or like you know the state of the game um at different checkpoints but then keep playing and see sure. like well like you know um how would this look if the team had to survive two more rounds then two more right. rounds and see right. where see at what point what you want to keep track of is when do we lose like for certain like what is the absolute limit of of the game system and then and then that will give you an idea of what your like, okay, this is definitely too long because no team can possibly make it to 12 rounds. Right. right? Mm -hmm. And so because, you set it at 11. So you 10. set it at 11, like, and you're like, okay, so then difficult, my highest difficulty is one less than that. Yeah. And then, and then you can like chug it back. But then you, like, if you, so if you do that, if you just like do five or six solo endurance games, that should give you enough data that you can start to figure out what good thresholds? Yeah, are. And, and if it's a game where there's uh, where you could run simulation on it, uh, like spreadsheet style simulation, then you can oh, you can kind of pump it and do that. Yeah, uh, Eric Slauson's asking a couple questions, um, okay. and we'll uh, switch over to Brad soon. Uh, Eric asks, "How does the AI decide uh, what the takeover? Uh, or maybe you know, what to take over? Yeah, what to what take over in the factory?" Uh, is it like pandemic style infection? Eric asked next. Um, it's a little more similar to Flashpoint Fire Rescue, where there okay. are you roll dice at the end of the turn, and then based on what space that dice is uh, on the map, something happens. Either a strike breaker shows up, or you have to gain um, exhaustion, or something like that. And then if there's already a enemy guy there there's something the enemy there's a formula for what the enemy guy does like he pushes a worker out of the way or moves towards nearest worker or something like that okay okay cool yeah i, I think jesse's suggestion of running multiple sims is is a great way to do it uh, and a really good way to do this then is to you know en enlist other people because a co-op you can play basic as long as it's one of the types where you can play by yourself like a one uh, one person playing like four hands or something, yeah. uh, then you can get a whole bunch of crowdsourced data 
just to say, you know, where did you last? Where did you feel like it should end? Uh, when did you absolutely get crushed? And then you know, work on some, some variable data from there. Does that sound cool? That does sound cool. Yeah, yeah. Eric says it's cool too. See, look, watch. <laughs> cool. <laughs> All right. Excellent. So, John, we're going to say goodbye to you now. Thank you so much for being our That's first community guest. This has been super awesome. I'm, I'm very happy to hear about all your projects. I read about them all the time. Uh, and now it's just nice to see your face and get to talk to you about it. Uh, and so hopefully at some point, especially the uh, brain injury one, when you get that done, I, I would love to play it. So, Yeah, I will. Yeah. Uh, I think I've got you on my list for people to send it to you when it's ready. So Awesome. I, uh, very nice. I'm working on it. <laughs> Excellent, excellent, excellent. All right, so we'll see you later. Uh, we're going to drop John out, and we're going to bring Brad, Brad in, and we'll see you in a bit. Thanks, John. Yeah, thank Bye. You. Bye. All right, everybody. So um, now I think, unfortunately, and that's something I don't love to say when I'm working on the tech for this show. Also, you I don't want to spell the name wrong. That's a lot. That's a lot. Lance a lot. Yeah. Is he still in the green room? He is, but he's, I don't see his picture. So I'm going to push him to the stream and we'll see what happens. Maybe it's audio only. We can do audio only, but let's see. All right, I'm bringing Brad in. Let's see what happens. This could be like the best or worst thing ever. Ready? Yeah. That's what happens when you do a live show. Bam. Anything is possible. Wait. Brad, are you there? Brad, can you hear us? Does he? I brought him in, but he's not really there. Okay, so we're gonna. He might have to go through his uh, settings and make sure that all the permissions are on. All right, so we're gonna fix this. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> um, I, let's see here. All right. Can you tell him how to find the little settings cog to make sure all his permissions are on? <laughs> Brad, we can't see you or hear you. Ah, he's, he's fixing, fixing his permission. Uh, Brad, can you, know you hear? Can you hear us, Brad? Like, just give me a quick thumbs up. On this the is chat something we've got to start sending it with our best practices of how to log in. Is now how to make sure your permissions are turned on for your browser. This is yes. the second time this has happened. I didn't even know this was an issue. I well, I don't, I don't know. I just this is what happened. Let's include it, guys. We got to include it. We should include yeah. it. Yep. Yep, yep, let's do that. Okay, yes, you are late, Zach Connolly. You are totally late. <laughs> you know what's kind of neat? I think I can do something like, let's see if I can do this. And now for the intermission, Sen plays with the technology. No, uh, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move Brad back to staging, our, our, a.k.a. our green room. And then I just wanted to see what can I, I can actually oh. add. Zach says he was playing a super secret project. Oh, were you, Zach? Um, I can do, there's something else that I can do here that's interesting. Where'd it go? So, oh, there's a couple of new things that we can do with BeLive. I gotta, we can uh, bring people. Oh, yeah, so we can do that intro thing because I asked for it. Uh, BeLive is super responsive. So that's great. That um, yeah, we've got, uh, they have to be an MP4. That's not uh, a problem. And they have to be less than 100 megabytes, I think. So that's not a problem. Very small. Um, and there, uh, let's see. Oh, Zach was playing a super secret. Yeah, that's what I okay. I know, I know, but I, there's a way that we can actually, I thought there was a way that we could bring people on like right now. Um, 
Brad, we still don't see you or hear you. You can hear him? I cannot. Oh. I can't see anything in the green room. I'm going to push audio only. Um, Brad, your audio only is coming on the stream like now. Can you hear us? Say yes. Say yes, please. Oh, no. No. He can hear us. Oh, I can hear you. But is that just because he's watching the feed? Yeah, maybe because he's watching the feed. I don't know. So I'm going to push him back out. I'm going to push him back out. All right. So, yeah, Brad, we can't hear you. We can't see you. Is he in Chrome? Just oh, are you in Chrome? That's a good thing. Because yeah. just so anyone who wants to use Be Live at home, it doesn't like other browsers other than Chrome. Just so you know, it, it really shouldn't. I mean, come on, Chrome is awesome. It should work with all of them. I know, I know. I'm just being a goof. So <laughs> yes, he's he's yes, he's in Chrome. So oh. while while he's continuing to fight with this, we can kind of have Brad present because he did conveniently give us some of his topics in advance. Let's go yeah, through some. Let's go through them. So the second one. The second, yeah. So, so one of the things he was interested in was he was wondering if we had any stories about moments that made us realize, yes, this is why I design games. Recognizing that everyone designs for different reasons, but it can be easy to become burned out when things aren't going well and when you're in the quote unquote grind, which feels like is most of the time. Um, so I think it would be nice for each of us to, uh, if we have a story about a moment that was just like, oh yeah, that, that is it. So um, I'm trying to think if there's anything specifically, I have to say I, there's something really fun about when these show up, hang on, when you get that box, I can't reach, <laughs> when you get that, when you get your designer box and you open it up and you're like, I own my own game. I guess I could have grabbed anything behind me. I don't yeah. know if I just grabbed this one. This is I think the last one that arrived, that's why. But it's like when that box shows up, there's something so crazy about that. Yeah, it's it's so crazy. I'm starting to make these. Is that oh, shadow box? Nice. Yeah. yeah, a little shadow box. So I, I'm taking cool. one one of my designer copies and I'm cannibalizing it. Cannibalizing it into a little shadow box. I think it's uh, wonderful. Yeah, I I make. I don't know if you guys can. Well, I think people have seen this before, but let's just see. I can move this this way because my stuff goes on the wall as well. So I make giant posters of the covers of my games. That's what I wanted to do in the basement. I just do that through uh, like some like printing company. Uh, I don't even know which one anymore. I just did it all at once. And so I stopped after a while because I run out of wall space. But <clears throat> it's, 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 it's nice to have it on there. Yeah. I do keep a copy of everything I have. So, I mean, you'd be silly not to. <laughs> I just got that one. I just got my package from IDW, though, Jesse. So. Yeah, me too. I'm, oh, I've got game. another shadow box to make. Yeah, um, cool figures. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I do. I actually do have a, a story, like a, of a moment that Tell has. Us. That, Tell and, us. And, and and it's something that I actually get like this affirmation. If this is why I design games, like once a week, still, it's pretty cool. Um, so with Legend of Korra, Sen and I put um, a ton of work into making all of these different teams and trying to make them different. And we had all these like little micro mechanics for like customizing your team and all this kind of stuff. And we put that in there because we wanted to make sure there was lots of content in the game for people if they wanted to dig in. But I didn't know if anybody would ever bother playing the game more than a couple of times. Well, there's two awesome moments that have come out of Korra. One is that 
some awesome people made a 3D arena with a hydraulic <laughs> operator. Oh, I, 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 will go, yeah, I will go get it. So I will go get it. Seth's got it. They then gifted so it to Seth. Um, and the second one, so while Sen's going to get that, the second thing, and this is the thing that I get the affirmation like once a week because they're still doing it, a group of people who got the Kickstarter, so there were, I think, six teams in the Kickstarter, six people have been getting together on a regular basis for the last year and a half playing an ongoing league. And and they have a Facebook group, they do interviews, they have the like league standings get posted at the end of every two weeks. And I, they invited me to the Facebook group and they're still going. Um, they had a few, awesome. they, they had some players drop out, they recruited new team captains and it's just, it's been fantastic. Um, That's awesome. Oh, so, I love it. So this is the board that Leslie uh, Chung made me. Uh, Leslie is a local uh, graphic designer, and he's done some work for WizKids. So if you've played The Expanse, the expansion for The Expanse, The Expansion, he is the gentleman who made the player boards for that. Uh, he is an amazing graphic designer and a, a fabricator. He has this whole like arena for Spartacus, but this is this is mine now. He gave this to me at the gathering last year. Uh, and if you know Cora, they, they play on this octagonal, this weird hexagonal board. And in the middle, you'll see there is a platform. I don't have my figures here, sorry. But um, what happens in a, a showdown of the game is that you have only two players in sudden death. And in the, in the TV show, they get raised up onto a platform. So this is what he made me. Uh, I'm not doing anything down here. Except this. Oh, yeah. Look at that. That's so awesome. The two players would be up there fighting their little fight uh, on the top of this dais up here. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. So, Leslie's awesome. And he uh, is a wonderful, wonderful graphic designer as well. But even better at fabricating stuff, I think. That's not yeah. That's his personal, personal strength. Um, Eric said that uh, anytime someone playing one of my games um, laughs, uh, it's like an instant, oh yeah, that's why I'm doing this recharge, which is why he usually demos his games without people knowing it's his, so that he gets some genuine laughs and smiles. That's cool. Um, for me, uh, I think, I don't even know. Um, oh, I do actually know. Uh, so I don't know if I can actually say what it is, but I'll say parts of what it is. So, <laughs> okay. Uh, I I was working. I am. It is coming out this year, I think, uh, or next year, early next year. Working on a game for Warner Brothers, uh, for some Warner Brothers thing that I absolutely love. My favorite IP in the entire world, uh, and I wrote a bunch of story for it. And the agent who we're working with from Warner Brothers said, "Oh, is, where'd you get that character? Is that from you know this episode or this whatever?" And I'm like, no, I wrote that all myself. And she said, wow, it sounds exactly like what we would have written in for that series. And so I was like, yes, that was a big feather in my cap in terms of I can write like those characters. So for me, that plus whatever somebody, the chorus seems to be the one that you get the most love for, Jess. Like people say, that made me feel like I was bending water or bending fire. I felt just like I was pro-bending. Uh, I, I think the fan base for Korra 
is so well, it's, they're hard up for kind of anything. Yeah. They haven't got a lot of love. And so when they saw the game, they're like, I don't know. <laughs> and then they played it. Like, yeah, this, this is good. This is like a representation of what I want to do uh, in the world of Korra. So I'm really happy to have been a part of that. So those are definite aha moments for us as well. I got one more fun one. My son decided, I think, a couple games back that he now officially gets a copy of everything I make. And so when the boxes come in, he takes one and puts it in his room. <laughs> and so that's definitely one of my, oh, I'll just, well, it's actually, I've probably told the story before. It's one of the reasons why I'm booyerous on all the boxes is because then it's sort of like my kids' names will always be on the box as well. Because I could be Hayes, I could be Hayes booyerous. I chose not to be any of those things. I'm just booyerous. And because it's it's their last name, so. Aww. You know, I've had my kids help write this stuff, so they're in the Kids on Bikes games because they help me write the scenarios. They're in the uh, the uh, some other role-playing stuff that I've written. So, yeah, get get your kids involved in the design, and it'll be it'll be cool. And they're, they're not mm. aha moments for me, but they're just lovely, lovely, lovely moments. Yeah. It's one of those like this is like this is what makes things worth it when you're yeah, grinding yeah. through like hours of the same thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, what's what's Brad's other question? Is it more? It was about questions? rules. It was rules was bloat. Yeah, he was oh, okay. he was wondering how to deal with rules bloat. Okay, because I I I Brad is supposedly trying to get in, but I don't see him in a running. Well, I think so he had a really good question. He had a really good, interesting point on this one. So what he was basically saying is a general discussion of rules bloat. Uh, how do you fix problems with adding more rules? Less is usually more. But why do some games get away with it with a ton of exceptions while others don't? And I actually had two answers that kind of came to my brain for the why some can get away with it. But to be honest, most people could never get away with it. A big part of this is audience. If your audience is already a very heavy gaming group, a very heavy hobby group, they already have a lot of already assumed prior knowledge, you can kind of get away with a lot of stuff and they'll be a lot more forgiving because to be honest, they kind of know what's coming with certain types of things. The other issue is if something has been really long running and it's gonna have a ton of exceptionalities as it keeps going. And so we can see these in long-term systems like you know Magic or Warhammer, things like that, where they keep putting plugging holes almost as you keep going because yeah. things just get more and more powerful. You're going to have all these crazy exceptions. Uh, RPGs are another good example of that. But again, because audience is the main key to this, if your audience is not prepared for all these exceptions, they better not be there because yeah. you just cut off your game from them. And so that was my. Yeah, I actually, so um, again, some, uh, I was having a conversation with people about this in another thread uh, today and yesterday. Um, someone was asking about balance and then oh, yeah, that a certain recently published game by Stonemeyer came up and I pointed wow. out that, um, and this is, I promise is related to your point, Erica, is that um, yes, there are people that are upset with uh, the feeling of balance that Tapestry has, um, but part of that is because it's marketed as a Civ-like and so people with Civ-like, people that love Civ-like games are coming into it with expectations that are different from what the experience delivers. Mm -hmm. And so when you're saying the audience matters, so does the way you present your game. Yes. I do not look at a box of Twilight Imperium and 
come to expect an experience that will be ironed out and smooth and rules exception free. I look at that box, I read the back of it, I see the dis display on the table, and I expect a 30 pound rule book. Yeah, so I kind of, yeah. Guide, guide a lot of, of that kind of stuff. Um, and I, I definitely think that some games that don't sell themselves well um, might not meet your expectations, and that's a problem. Yeah, positioning but, matters, target audience matters. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I guess a big part of target audience as well then is, um, I was going somewhere with this, now I forget because I'm tired, <laughs> it's late. What was I gonna say? It was a good point, damn it. Uh, you know what? Oh, I know what I was going to say, uh, for the majority of gaming audiences, there's a very narrow group that's going to allow for these big, heavy rule books for most of them. If you're going to come, if a rule starts to require all these exceptionalities, you need to toss the rule. Yeah. It needs to go. I'm sorry. It has to be something else. So, so that is a good and the normal standard advice heuristic. There is sometimes another way though which is to bake the exceptions into the visual iconography, mm. right? So you can sometimes get away with having exceptions that players don't realize are there because of the way the pieces fit together or the way the icons are laid out on cards. So it eliminates the rules questions just yeah, by the way yeah, that you yeah. do your graphics design. Um, so instead of having a, a, an exception because of ambiguity, you can use component and graphics design to eliminate the ambiguity and also help players remember the rule. Yeah, I, um, say, I think that's more of a clarity thing. Problem yeah, is when you forget to do the thing because it doesn't come up that often. But if you can that, use yeah. smart graph design or smart player aids, yeah. then you've got that kind of nailed anyway. So that's a good one. Um, yeah. Let me think. For me. <clears throat> I like I like cutting bloat wherever it, it happens. Like I will just cut out whole sections of rules. And my metric is actually and it takes me longer to explain the rule than it does to like actually move the parts around to do it. It's probably gonna get reduced or, or cut out. So I, I'm really talking about those rules like when you explain it, it's like this really weird wordy way of saying it. Like um, first you take seven cards and then you stack one card under that and you take that and cut it in half or you know, and then you shuffle two decks underneath. It's like, why are we doing this? Why? That's, yeah. That's the point. You're, you know, I think that's a good point. Why? If some you... randomness in there, and just, but still have some preset stuff, there might be a way, better way to do this. So it's actually neat. So Jesse uh, was in, on the team with me when we taught Get Lit. Do you ever Get Lit, Jess? That little itty bitty card game from Zoc. I think it's a Zoc game that we taught for. Yes. Uh, yes. I was, so, yeah, so with Lion. Just as a really strange thing. Their, their rule for setting your deck length is they have a little card inside that has like an indicator on it. Said, oh, that's great. Just take off about that many cards. You just put one, you just put a card beside a stack and then you cut the stack to a line on the card. Yeah. And it's Ish. roughly correct, right? And the reason <laughs> like it, that. it very much is um, the, the mechanic because the mechanic is you don't know when this thing's going to blow up, right? Yeah. It's about uh, a short fuse. How, you don't know how short the fuse is. And um, it, it takes up the whole like, count 17 cards and then replace two of them back to top of the deck and blah, blah, blah. If you just yeah. slice off a couple cards. Right? Um, two things. One, Sen, your mic is quiet. It is. It's totally not in my face. Sorry, that was really Now loud. he's loud again. <laughs> there we go. And two, uh, as a final thing, Brad had a slight more specific clarification. Gloomhaven is super popular, but has a 50-page rule book. 
terraforming Mars is probably the same weight of gain, but if it had a 50 page rule book, would it have been as popular? Oh, I that's a great question. No, but I would say combat is the main difference in there. And I'm gonna say, if you've ever seen any of the D&D books, there's a reason there's uh, so many of them. <laughs> well, D&D isn't, well, I don't think the D&D Gloomhaven comparison is, well. But I don't mean like that. Well, to a degree though, you have characters that have differing leveling abilities. You have also so many different kinds of characters sure. that each one has its specific rules. And that's why I say yeah. almost D&D as an example is, I'm not even saying the rule set of D&D, you might just need to have a monster guide just to understand sure. what each one of them does. And right. Gloomhaven is very like tipping into having that many things, that many yeah. characters, that many classes, that many, yeah. like I think combat is the major right. difference between those two things. And there's a lot of right. diagrams for it. I also think though, if Gloomhaven was competitive, it wouldn't have worked. I oh, think God a big no. part of the reason why you can get away with a 50 page rule book and a million and more exceptions than core Cause rules is because it's cooperative. Because um, in a cooperative game, if players forget a rule, like so I mean, we played 38 or so games of Gloomhaven before I sold it, um, we often would forget a rule. But that didn't ruin the experience. We were just right. like, oh, well, we'll just finish the game the way we've been playing and check it later. And, and that was fine because it was cooperative. Mm -hmm. And as long as we were feeling challenged, it didn't matter to us if the specifics of this mechanic or that mechanic were gotten right. Did we remember to advance the element track last turn? I don't know. We forgot it about 80% of but the time. But because you're all benefiting or, or not, or, it doesn't or matter. Or suffering. Yeah. We didn't really, it didn't really like bother us too much. Yeah, and um, I mean, that that does say something about procedural rules. Procedural rules that don't have a mnemonic aid are really tough to remember mm -hmm. uh, in the heat of the moment. And that's why... Um, you know, it's, you got to build those into a player aid. You have to yeah. use really smart iconography. Um, you have to lead the eye around the board to make sure that you're getting to those key hit points, yeah. those hot spots. Yeah. Uh, and that the other thing about Gloomhaven, um, not to, to rant on Gloomhaven for too long, but the other thing about it, um, in the rule book is that, uh, I, I think it's actually more compartmentalized than, mm -hmm. Then uh, terraforming Mars, yeah. So terraforming Mars, to me, the rule book is more like you got to know it all all the time. Um, whereas Gloomhaven is you got to know these twelve pages, and then these twelve pages, and then these twelve pages, and then these twelve pages, and you got the cover, and that's fifty pages, right? Yeah. Um, because that's kind of how it is. Like once yeah. you've done with, once you're done with the front twelve pages, you don't really need to reference them until like. Yeah. You choose a new character. Actually, I think that's yeah. probably what's the job, the that's new right. your new class, right? So, mm -hmm. it's it's very much compartmentalized, kind of like your D and D books are compartmentalized yeah. in some ways. That's the only reason I made the reference is yeah, because yeah, a lot it. of it is just kind of like that that categorical. But what does this guy do? Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that's that's a good point too, right? It's that um, you don't actually need the whole rule book for any given game. You just need a subset of it. So if you are going to be making that kind of comparison, it's important to compare game to game. Um, yeah. yeah. So another thing about about that, while we were talking about rules writing uh, specifically, is that uh, everybody out there just remember that rules are written for different purposes and different audiences. And the problematic thing about it is that they have to accomplish all of those things at once, unless you can afford to put multiple rule books 
into a box, which is why player aids, by the way, are my number one solution to like almost every problem that I've ever had. Make a player aid. Ha ha, you're mm. done. Well, uh, we'll also say Gloomhaven's number one on BGG, yeah. but like, think of it this way, they're coming out with that slimmed down version. So that says a lot on top of it that not only can you be number one in hobby, but you've listened up to the fact that most people look at this thing and get scared. That's and right. so you're going to come up with the alternate version too. So well, it kind yeah, of even right? says that even this hasn't 100% gotten away with it because if there's enough feedback to cause a whole other game, what does that tell you? It's actually really interesting because the market drive of that, um, if you look at how buyers from stores uh, who have no time to look at 4,000 games buy games, they just look at the hot top of the hotness and purchase mm. from there. And so they don't necessarily know that it's good for their particular audience, but they know that it's hot and that people will invest in it because it's hot. This is supposed to be good. It's a $150 game. Why it shouldn't, why shouldn't it be good? But then <clears throat> the smart person like Isaac is, and by the way, he's brilliant. Uh, don't get me wrong. Totally brilliant to do exactly what you said, Erica. It's like, oh, my brand is attracting players that aren't at that particular level yet. So maybe I should aim there and make mm -hmm. a product for them is, is a really smart way to do it. Um, no, let's be honest, but led BGG, some of those games that are the most popular for the average person have like the worst ratings on BGG. Right. So that's because BGG is not BGG ratings. It's for hobby. Are not a, that's right. Yeah. Um, and like core hobby. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, Zach said that Jesse used to have a thing about passive and active actions as part it's as far as forgettable rules. Yeah. And that's not just Jesse. <laughs> I think that's all yeah. three of us. And I was awesome. going to say, uh, if you don't remember a rule, it needs to go or be incorporated with something right. else. Because well, this, the specific thing he's yeah. talking about here, though, is the difference between passive actions, like static ongoing abilities that you have you to remember. You always get a plus one to every die like, roll. Yeah, you have plus yeah. one whenever you roll a red die versus active actions, like roll two red dice. Mm -hmm. um, and it's and so, really weirdly subtle, but it makes a big difference in remembering. And also the penalty of remembering. So yeah. a lot of times, like, it's like, oh, I finished my turn. Oh, I should have got an extra gold. That means I could have done this and this and this and this and that. Mm -hmm. And we got to rewind the whole turn. Whereas mm -hmm. if it's, you know, an active thing, like, you must go to this place to get the gold. Yeah. Well, did you? No. Well, then you can't get it, right? It yeah. Makes it and very... a lot of time those are spent. Like, yeah. a lot of those yeah. 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 Or they're a choice in some way. Or something. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. And then Adam Young says, player references that leave out just one little step create a lot more rulebook reliance. The players can trust it. They can put down the book more often. You mm -hmm. are entirely correct, sir. Yes. So um, we actually write from our player aids. We make a player aid first. Yeah. And we don't write that's the a, rules until our hot, player aid is, is That's is a hot like tip set. for prototyping. Uh, instead of writing rulebooks, write player aids. Um, yeah. And that hey, actually helps aids you, can take longer. And it helps keep your game slim, right? Um, yeah. If you're, if you're, if we're trying to contain all of our rules to a player aid, then we're far more limited than if we're allowing ourselves ten pages in Google Drive. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it ends up being ten pages in Google Drive. Anyway, it does with diagrams and stuff. Yeah. But at least we know that this is the core, and we don't stray too far from that. Yeah. Very cool. So. That was our first community episode. Yay! Yay. Yeah. Sorry, Brad. We, we tackled your questions. I know you saw you, so thank you for talking yeah. about them. Sorry, yeah. I couldn't join. And it's not your fault. We'll we'll figure out what's going on because uh, there's definitely a permission thing in Chrome. Right. So a really quick way, uh, just to, for us to remember about getting around permissions is if you use your phone, you won't have that problem because BeLive has an app 
for your phone that will automatically let you do these things. It's a little weird because Jesse and I used it all proto-to. It was like, you got to log into this and then log into that. And then you got to jump between three apps to do it. But uh, it works. It works. Yeah. Gotcha. There was, there's none of the problems that we had today. So um, we'll just say backup is always going to be phone. Yeah. yeah. Or tablet gotcha. or something. Right? Yeah. Okay. Well, no worries. So. Brad, don't worry about it. It's it's uh, our issue as much as it is, as it is yours. So we're just going to get better at onboarding people. Uh, especially in the middle of the show. That's that's something that's new to us. So we've never done yeah. that before either. We would usually have, you know, done that before and it wouldn't have been so stressful because we wouldn't have started, right? We would well, and see, that's what we did last week too. We just said, I think we better start. And so we started without our guest being ready, which is not great for us. But anyway, anyway. we'll fix it in post. All right. Well, let's talk about all the fun ways people can watch us, see us, and listen to us. Yeah. Jess, what's yeah. up? <laughs> How about this? I'll tell you what's coming because Jess okay, just yeah, yeah. froze both literally and figuratively. <laughs> okay, so uh, yeah, no, you're back now. So uh, don't forget, guys, we've got the YouTube channel that's up and it's slowly growing. So what'll happen is the next new episode they'll be up on YouTube next week will be Pam talking about uh, Pro Tio, all the pros and cons of after the fact and kind of the hindsight of, okay, the cons over. What was the good parts? What was the, you know, what was the, what are, what, what do you want to work on for next time? So we're, about, we're, about a, we're a week behind then, right? Yeah. Yeah. That one's staggered at the moment, which kind of I think it's good for me. It's fine. Yeah. Anyway, oh, whatever works <laughs> that was my you, own fault, yeah. but I'm leaving for now. Yeah. Uh, the podcast. YouTube's a week behind. The podcast, uh, next week, we'll have a spotlight. So the podcast is going to have a spotlight on Bobby West. And we'd okay, love you cool. guys to join. Uh, the, the podcast can be found on pretty much anywhere you enjoy podcasts. Uh, but I guess the really big ones would be things like uh, iTunes, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts. Uh, I think we're Stitcher. on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, things like that. So basically all the major ones. Or you could just copy our RSS, RSS and pop it in wherever you'd like. Mm -hmm. um, and then our live show next week is going to be a spotlight on Lizzie Funkhauser. Uh, we'd love to hear, yeah, all about the game reviews, all about the um, yeah. the groups, and and, and all the fun things the going on for that. Yeah, and the, designs, the games yeah. as well, and the designs as well. Because go so, team those, small. Go there are so small. many things. Yeah, so many things right now. So. <laughs> We'd love you to join all of those. If you can, like, subscribe, hit whatever buttons. And <laughs> it's just supposed to hit on those hit things. all the buttons. All the hit buttons. all the buttons. And then we'll also say we are a proud part of the World's Play Network uh, yes, for our so. podcast. Good, good, good. And on that note, I guess we don't have final advice because we just kind of gave it. Final advice. Go yeah. with the flow. <laughs> <laughs> There's lots sizzling. of advice in this episode. Keep it sizzling. Is that, what you, is that, is that our exit now? Keep it simple, Sizzler. I don't know. I don't know. Um, <laughs> this is not getting better. No. It's not. Um, um, okay, we need to pick one. For, thanks for sticking around, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> As we get dumber well, and dumber. Yeah, I mean, anyway. It's kind of sticky. I get it. All right. So on that note, we are gone. And we will be back next week with Lizzie Funkhauer. Funkhauer? Funkhauser. Funkhauser next week. Um, so join us here then. And please go check out the Roll to Play Network for other wonderful podcasts, mostly yeah. about role-playing games, but hopefully soon we'll get some more stuff up there about design and board mm -hmm. gaming and other tabletop endeavors. All right, so we'll see you guys next week. Same time, same place right here on the Meeple Syrup Show. Bye. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Meeple Syrup Show. If you'd like to help support our podcast and the live show, 
please visit www.patreon.com backslash maple syrup. Thank you for your support.